When you work in educational leadership, you don't get off at five o'clock. Your mind is always on the clock, thinking of ways to solve problems for your students, parents, and teachers. On the Clock is your go-to podcast to learn valuable insights from education leaders across the United States. I'm your host, Todd Dallas-Lamb, former White House appointee to the U.S. Department of Education, and we are now on the clock. And we are here with Steve Joel, Dr. Steve Joel. Steve, I have known you at least 18 years. How long have you been, how long were you a soup before you retired last July? I had the pleasure of serving uh, for 37 years as a superintendent, and um, the last 12 were in Lincoln, Nebraska. So it's been, uh, it was fast, it was furious at times, but I have tremendous memories of uh, the work. You know, Steve, I am, I, I think I've told you, my mom taught in 1950 in a little place called Pettysville, Ohio, where a majority of her students were Amish. And she used to say that uh, punishment was a shush and that she would get letters from the parents if she had to correct one of their students who might have gotten out of line. And shushing was, you know, a big punishment in the day. We've come quite a long ways from Pettysville, Ohio in 1950, haven't we, in education? Yeah, we have. You know, the landscape's really changed, Todd. And, you know, one of the things that I am nervous about is this, this whole how did we get, how did we really do during the pandemic, right? So we know, you know, academically kids lost ground um, to be expected because um, there, there were there were kids, uh, students in school districts up for three years, close to three years, didn't really have any normalcy. Uh, and that, you know, we all know that, you know, psychologists will tell us, psychiatrists will tell us that that impacts behavior as well too. So I do think we're seeing and we're hearing from teachers and administrators and superintendents at this conference that student behavior today is is more pronounced than it's ever been. And, and of course, all you have to do is read the national media and realize that, you know, um, shush would be super simple, but now it uh, many, many times is much worse. And so, you know, we have to get a handle on that, right? Because we can't, we, we can't sacrifice the integrity of education for most to, to continually try to accommodate those that are students that are just disrupting. So let's, let's talk about a few um, headlines that, that I hear and see uh, when I hear about education. We have what seems to be a record number of superintendents leaving uh, at the district level and just changing careers completely. Students, I, I heard a statistic yesterday that about 5% decrease across the country in students who have left public education for homeschooling or other private options. Teacher shortages, I, I was told, I, I, I work with a group that does a teacher uh, certification assessment. There's now talk on in a lot of states about removing that, that assessment because it's too much of a barrier for teachers. Uh, where's the good news right now? It seems like we are at a moment of crisis in American education. Well, we have to get out of crisis management and we have to, we have to take back the message, right? Because education, and I'm on the public side, but, but on, I think we can say it's all of education. We're the backbone of American democracy and we have to work. Right. If we don't work or we have this sort and select system that's that's only for few or we continue to send messages, you know, that teachers aren't doing what society wants them to do, then then it's going to be a doom loop, Todd. And, and we're going to have less and less teachers because college enrollments are down um, and, and we're going to have less and less students because there's a whole bunch of 
topics out there that are designed to create fear in the minds of parents that are not necessarily grounded in fact. And just so that you know, you know, in Nebraska, we had that happen to us, right? So we're, we're, we're now backing away from the certification test because if we don't, we'll, we'll have even more of an acute shortage. Having said that, you know, at the conference that, uh, that we're attending this week and, and through my work and I know through your work, we have to support our superintendents. We have to support our school systems because the pandemic caused us to make decisions that, that for whatever reason just, just enacted this pushback that we either weren't doing enough or we were doing too much. And that's a no-win situation for superintendents. And the teacher in the classroom, when they see the crowded boardroom where, where folks are on both, either side of that equation, um, they begin to think to themselves, is this what I want to do? You know, and just, just in the last couple of days, having conversations or, or table conversations, 50-year-old superintendents are going to retire in a year or two years. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I lasted quite a bit longer than that because I loved the work and I was fortunate. You know, I, I, I was in pretty good situations. But we can't keep having this talent go out the door and because we're not going to be able to replace them. How do we... How do we recruit teachers? I mean, it feels like we've always relied, for the first 60 years in education, it was about all my mom could have done was teach if she wanted to be in, the, in a profession. That was a bad break for her professionally. There's a lot of things my mom probably could have done, but it was a great break for kids who wanted to learn to read, write, and, and, and have a great math teacher in the classroom. Yeah. Well, what are universities doing to try to pull more students into that pathway. They're struggling. Um, you know, a couple of things, couple of thoughts that I have, and we've been involved in some conversation on the on conversations. I have. One is we, we have to, we have to revere teachers, right? That has to be a profession that makes all the professions possible because we know it is, but we need, we need teachers to be valued and not be devalued, right? So things like we're going to ban any book that anybody takes exception to or, you know, we're, we're not going to allow you to teach slavery because we don't agree with it or the whole, you know, I mean, we, we could just go on and on and on. The restrictions that are being placed right now on teachers are making it next to impossible for them to create relationships with kids because they can't answer certain questions that, that are coming to them because a district or a school or a, a family or, you know, a community is saying, those are taboo. So that's one thing. We've got to we've got to place greater reverence in the teaching profession. You know, there were five reasons when I when I showed up uh, and, and at Doan University in Crete, Nebraska, in 1972, and, and I was thinking about a major. The, the the person who was talking about education said, "There's five reasons you want to be a teacher: Saturday, Sunday, June, July, and August." Yeah. And I'm said, "I'm in. You know, that's great. I can play softball. You know, I could do all those things I wanted." Reality of it is, there's a lot on teachers' plates today. They don't get June, July, and August off. They don't get Saturdays and Sundays off. We have to figure out ways to be more creative, probably with partnerships, to take stuff off of teachers' plates, like paperwork, right? For example, special education. I was in a, uh, a discussion about special education and they were talking about special education teachers in droves and the pandemic left and it wasn't because they didn't want to work with kids they couldn't keep up with the paperwork plus all the litigation that special education has a tendency to be sent in be involved in and so that would be the second one and the third one we have to pay we yeah. have to compensate at a at a higher level you know when when you hear that teachers first year teachers 50 year teachers with two and three children and a single person, you know, raising a family, 
that that gets free and reduced lunch, eligible for free and reduced lunch, something's wrong with that. I mean, these are professional people. So I think those three, that's that's where the dialogue needs to be. But there's an anti-union sentiment right now in America. And so it makes it very difficult for us to align our resources to start making those arguments because of some positions that were taken during the pandemic that people just aren't going to let go of. What? What's the right amount of money? <laughs> I mean, what is a stand? What's a what's a teacher start at in Nebraska right now? Um, we're in, I would say in in Lincoln, it's probably forty to forty two, forty three thousand dollars, right? Which um, the average salary is probably sixty five, maybe mm-hmm. you know, plus plus good retirements and and whatnot. But you you know, look at housing prices, look at rental prices today, look at trying to buy a car today in terms right. of being able to get around. I mean, these these young people are coming out of college with some debt, and you know, they have to pay the debt off. They're trying to make their way. First year teaching, just like first year superintendent, is drinking through a fire hose, right? So it's very very stressful on a lot of fronts. Um, you know, fortunately in Lincoln, when I left, we had a number of teachers with doctorates and 25 years of experience making a hundred, maybe 110, 120. I heard somebody from another state this week talk about teachers making 140, 150. You know, I think those are the kind of salaries that people will say, yep, I can, I can dedicate my career to it. But when you think about salary schedules and this will get me in trouble with, um, <laughs> with, with people, you, you know, I do think salary, I understand the intent of salary schedules. But, but there needs to be, uh, we need to have latitude to create incentives to keep the really, really good people or, the, or those that, that need additional sports on, on, you know, with us, right? Because we can't, somebody made the comment the other day, and I, I believe this to be true, we can't keep having our good teachers in Title I schools get burned out and either get to a non-Title I school or go become an online tutor or teacher and then be immediately immediately be immediately be replaced by a 21 year old right out of college right. that's working with the most difficult populations that we have right so how do we how do we reverse that I was uh, conversation just before we we came on with uh, with a company that's very very interested in thinking about you know is there a way that we can help support what's happening in the classroom so teachers feel better about the work and can we figure out a way to incent that. In Lincoln, I was really um, uh, proud of the fact that, you know, when we went into the pandemic, one of the things that we did with, with with our ESSER dollars is we found master teachers that would go above and beyond for a nice stipend and create power lessons for all the other teachers that were trying to navigate this hybrid environment. Right. Maybe something like that is the model. Can I circle back? It's, it, COVID is an easy culprit to point the finger at with regards to teacher loss, student performance, superintendents leaving. Is, did it, might it have started before that? Is this a trend that was happening before, or do you think it all falls on the shoulders of COVID? No, it doesn't all fall on the shoulders of COVID. COVID was the catalyst that, that, that energized and ignited um, a lot of emotions that mm-hmm. may have been there, but they weren't collective, right? Yep. So all of a sudden, school board meetings, Lincoln, for example, one-hour board meetings pre-COVID, all of a sudden we're having three- and four-hour meetings with 42 people that are coming in telling us that our, our um, putting masks on kids was wrong. You know, right. we were killing, you know, doing some bad things. We had teacher protests on the main drag out in front of my district, the, the oldest, the district office where I worked. And, and so regardless of how you felt, whether you, we did too much or we didn't do enough, 
the middle was never represented because they would just go, they trusted us. Mm -hmm. But boy, did we hear from the extremes. And the extremes then began to collect their voices, I think, around the country around, you know, CRT was a big factor. Equity became a, um, almost a, a dirty word in some circles, right? Which, mm -hmm. wow, you know, I think people were totally misguided by that. Um, the whole thing about transgender bathrooms and athletic uh, competition. We were, we were solving, we were addressing all of those issues in America the right way on a per case basis, working with parents, working with teachers. And, and now all of a sudden it's, uh, it's on social media and it's, it's getting thousands of likes and followers and they show up at a school board meeting and they're yelling at the board of education for this or for that. So I do think COVID was the catalyst that really energized the voices. And, and it's in American politics too. I mean, look, look at, I, I read an article the other day where a former president of the United States was on the East Coast someplace, and he and he said, you know, when I'm elected president, I'm going to make sure that uh, that principals report to parents, and that parents get to do the hiring and the firing, and the place erupts in applause, yeah. as if that could even be a resemblance of a good idea. I mean, I was just talking to somebody about our politics, and 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 education is, in many ways. Always has been very political, hasn't it? You uh, you move into a community uh, as a new superintendent, and I, I notice this a lot. America uh, in America, we're 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 reaching out to superintendents to take jobs from far yeah. far away from the place they're actually working. So, for example, um, we just hired a state superintendent in Maryland uh, who was a deputy in uh, in Texas. Now, that's a huge challenge to come culturally come into Maryland where we don't have freeways. So if you say freeway, they get mad at you in Maryland. Did you know that? Because mm. we have highways. Right. And if you don't have the language down, you're already kind of starting from behind, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, you are. And, you know, I, I, it's a market for superintendents yep. in, at the state level. I, I conducted a couple of state uh, commissioner searches this year. And, you know, they're, they're able to go bring people in from all over because, you, you know, folks are looking for fresh starts and new mm -hmm. starts. Um, and there's something about, I would, I would say, and I think this is probably leadership um, in the business industry, too. When you first take a job, the group that hired you, you're working with, right? So there's... There's an opportunity to have an extended honeymoon, but then begins the things begin to shift. Dynamics change, decisions get made. The politics that you're referring to have always been there. You know, why didn't the football coach get fired? Or how come the <laughs> board president secretary didn't get the you know promoted? I mean, right. all of those have always been there. This is on a much bigger scale because this is really this this is really grounded in fear. And, and so the people that are criticizing education today the most aggressively, I don't believe have kids in, for the most part, I don't believe they have kids in our schools. Um, I proved that in Lincoln when the first time we had 40-something people come in and um, over the state was thinking about adopting some new health standards. We didn't expect them to show up in the board meeting. My board was, you know, looking at it going, well, what just happened? And we got all the names because you have to sign in with an address, right? And... The, the very next day, we said, I said to my secretary, find out how many of them have kids in school. And of those, 45 did. And so we brought those five, I brought those five in, and I had my board chair with me, and we said, okay, let's talk about your concerns. Everything that they expressed, they heard from someone. They hadn't experienced it themselves, right. but they were scared. They were scared that we were going to indoctrinate and stop educating. And when we were done uh, with that meeting, four of those five never showed up again. 
one of them became uh, one of the leaders of the charter school movement in, in Nebraska. And so my, you know, my point is at the end of the day, I think superintendents today can't avoid the politics, but let's not, you know, if 10% of our people hate us and 10%, you know, want us to do a whole lot more, let's go get those 80% and make sure that they're having good experience. You know, I'll give you another example of the, the, the debate on how we teach history. You referenced that earlier. Yep. Um, we're about to have a presidential campaign. You also referenced that. And you're going to, I have a prediction that you're going to see the most extreme sides of, of how we teach American education. Uh, and, and on one side, and I, I do believe this, this group of people exists, you have those that, that only want to talk about American exceptionalism and really would rather not talk about the failure of Reconstruction, for example. On the other side, you have America evil from the beginning, racist, totally flawed, needs to, we need to break down the system. Somewhere in the middle of that is a really good conversation about how it's a pretty darn good system that has made monumental mistakes along the way and sometimes takes steps backwards, but generally arcs in a positive direction. And I think most people would agree with that, but I don't think you're going to hear that in the election. Well, and, you know, I'm, I'm a shameless plug. We need a unifier, right? We need somebody that can look at America and say, this is the greatest country in the world. Yep. And we have a ton of talent here and we've got great thinkers and we're, we're innovative and we're creative. And let's start working together as opposed to, you know, you, you know tribes, right? Yep. So the word tribe comes up a lot. So, you know, I, I'm always going to be in that, that, that camp that we're going to have to be optimistic. But some of the work that I'm doing right now, Todd, and I know, and I know you and many, many others are, so I'm not pointing to myself, is we're really trying to to change the narrative. And and instead of just saying, we don't do that, we don't do that, we don't do that, we don't do that, how about we start talking about what we do do in schools? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we provide hope, we provide um, inspiration, we teach kids how to read, um, opportunities for all of our students. Let's change that narrative around because really what we've got, you know, with, with some of the people who I've interacted with that are talking about American exceptionalism, what they want is they want to go back to that one-room schoolhouse where it was just the Amish kids from that neighborhood yeah. and nobody else, right? And as soon as somebody else gets entered into that, it, it's a major culture change. And we just can't allow that to happen in America because there are a ton of success stories of people who came with very little resource, got a great education, and they're, they're heading Fortune 500 companies today. And we just have to make sure that all kids know that that still is possible. I, I do think that and maybe we'll end on a positive note. I, I am blown away. You and I have known each other through a, a conference over the years, uh, ERDI. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Jennifer Ferrari, the CEO of, of ERDI, uh, a little later today. The entrepreneurial spirit that this country produces is still alive and well, isn't it? Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, and this is the conference for it, right? Yeah. So it's innovative, creative companies that have identified through either conversations or research or personal experiences that there's a opportunity to partner with school districts. See, one of the things that we've learned, we can't do it all ourselves anymore. Yep. You just can't go out and get an FTE or, or, you know, add three people to the tech department. But boy, you could come up with one of these solution providers. You could bring them in. They can solve um, a challenge that you have. And, and oh, by the way, if they don't get better, 
two years from now, three years from now, is another company that that's got a better widget. Yep. And you get a chance to upgrade or you know you know force your existing partner to become better. So I, I would say, Todd, and we were talking before we started, the the enthusiasm here on the part of the superintendents and the solution providers, because there's no selling that's allowed here. It's really about conversation around the important challenges in education and how can we work together. And I've been in ERDI for 20 plus years. It's the best conference I ever attend because it's got not only the opportunity to, to, to hear things that I wouldn't hear typically in Nebraska, but I, but I learned from my peers, right? Finally, Steve, the big question. Is Nebraska going to figure it out? The football team. Yeah, you know, I I was I went to Ireland last year with my wife, and we lost. We we the only win that Northwestern had was Nebraska yeah. in Dublin, and I told my wife then we're done. You know, no more. I'm not traveling. I'm not. And then we made a new coaching hire, yep. and we've got the number fourteen recruiting class in 2024. Got a whole bunch of D1 transfers, and Coach Rule is all over Lincoln, um, and the state. You know, shaking hands and talking. He's very open. So yeah. I'm I'm an optimist. I'm, I'm drinking a Kool-Aid again. You know I'm a Buckeye fan, but I've just listened to a, uh, a podcast of about three different uh, Buckeye reporters. Their favorite place to visit in all of the Big Ten, Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, let me know if you ever want to come out. It'd be fun. I would love to come yeah. to that game. Lincoln's a great place. We're a great venue. And here's the thing I love about Nebraska. Win or lose, and we've lost a lot lately, mm -hmm. we still pack the place. We still have 80,000 people showing up at a spring game. It's incredible. Right? I mean, the amount of red you see in Lincoln when you walk around on a weekend is nothing short. You, you're rocking it today? I'm rocking it today. <laughs> yep. Steve Joel, you are a great friend, great leader, and an inspiration. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Todd. Appreciate it. You bet. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. On the Clock is part of the Stratagos Podcast Network. To view the entire lineup of shows, please visit us at stratagosgroup.com. See you next time.